This is Your Liturgical Bible, a Bible study series from Enacting the Kingdom. We believe that through community, ritual, and liturgy, the story of the Bible comes to life. Join Father Jeffrey and I as we learn to express the beauty of the biblical story together. Pillars of Biblical Literacy. We're continuing our introduction into this brand new series, this brand new season on Enacting the Kingdom, where we are exploring the Bible. What is it? How do you read it? How does it connect with liturgy? How does it connect with our life? Uh, what are we supposed to do with this thing? And in our pilot episode, which was uh, last time, we talked about um, these different ideas of what the Bible is. You know, we, we talked about the collaboration of divine and human and how in the Bible we have this, um, uh, this image of that collaboration between divine and human. Uh, we've, we talked a little bit about how the Bible is unified. Um, or in what ways is the Bible unified? Uh, how do we balance that diversity and the unity uh, that exists within these scriptural texts? We also talked about the Bible being messianic literature, right? The Bible from the very beginning to the very end is very concerned with this messianic figure. Perhaps it's one person, perhaps it's all of Israel. There's these various ideas that exist there, like a connect the dots picture. Um, but then of course the gospels, they draw a picture connecting those dots for us that point ultimately to Jesus Christ himself as fulfilling all those expectations. Um, but we're going to continue on exploring some of these pillars of biblical literacy with uh, this one, Father Jeffrey, that the Bible is communal literature. Now, this one is, I mean, we could do a whole season on this topic um, because it's quite huge. But the, the Bible being uh, a library of texts that are ultimately first told in community, right? Many of the biblical texts are told in uh, through oral tradition. So we have, you know, this community in which these stories and these texts are um, first uh, composed and constructed. But then we also have, you know, at some point they had to be written down. And that perhaps was by somebody else uh, or somebody uh, involved in that community, or perhaps a couple of generations after the story had been told orally starts to write it down. So they are participating in this narrative by doing the crystallization, by writing it down. But then there's also um, the, the people who compiled these texts, right? Whether it's the various different sources that are used to compile a single book in the Bible, or whether it is... Um, or whether it is the um, uh, later on people who would put these books next to each other in particular orders, right? So the way that the story is laid out has this community to it. But also we, by simply reading it, are actually participating in that community. And ultimately, we shouldn't just be reading alone by ourselves, but in community, in liturgy even. So this, you know, the Bible being communal literature is a really big topic, topic isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, in all of those respects, um, we're not alone. We're not isolated. We're, we belong to uh, in what is basically an organic family that has, from the call of Abraham to today, continue to exist and to experience who God is, to ask big questions, to struggle to find answers, and together, uh, you know, come to, to conclusions. Those conclusions have, have been different at different times and places. And the Bible itself plays a major role in 
letting us know that, right? There's a diversity there from communities that come from different times and, and, and places and so forth. But the consistent thing is that aspect of community that we're invited to share in this kind of group project, which ultimately is to, to, to bring together all human beings, right? It's not about an elite or, you know, here's a sect that's, that's broken off and has, has got these weird ideas over here. It's, it's about this invitation, as we said in the, the first episode uh, of God to all of us as human beings to share in his purposes. And together we are working on that and we're continuing to work on that. So to say that the Bible itself is, uh, is a testimonial to that process over a long period of time because already thousands of years are are encapsulated there and it and it shows this in in all kinds of ways by the way that the same story appears multiple times in multiple different contexts and told with different kind of themes and and points you know to that i mean how many times do we get the the story of the plagues of of Egypt uh, during the Exodus, uh, you know, told it's you know, a couple of times in Torah and the Psalms, and each time with has a slightly different you know purpose. At the beginning of the scriptures, two different creation accounts with different points to to be made in terms of the theology and, and so forth. And those come from from different times and and places. But what what unifies all of that is the fact that it's the 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 community going through time, the community of faith, uh, the covenant family of God that is at work together to imagine who God is in our time and place and to make sense of, of the world and to struggle to achieve what his purposes are, you know, for us, you know, together. And so it, it's why, you know, we emphasize the beginning, how liturgical, and scriptural, you know, these texts are right because they emerge out of a community. They are uh, passed down in a community. They're interpreted in a community. They're rewritten sometimes in that community in, in new times and places. They're proclaimed and taught and explained and they form the, the worship of that community. But in all respects, it's a, it's a community that's in play, the community that has together pledged its faith and trust in God. So the next one is related. So I, you might be able to see our dear listeners that a lot of these things are actually related and build on on the previous ones. But this next pillar is called ancient or perhaps contextually rooted literature, right? That this, um, okay, if you were to go on a trip, I'll tell you a little anecdote, Father Jeffrey. I went um, uh, on, a, on my honeymoon. We went to Mexico. So before the wedding, your mind is on planning the wedding. Everything is about the wedding, 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 wedding. We get married. We fly to Mexico. I get off the airplane. And then somebody starts talking to me in Spanish. And I had this immediate thought. How could I have spent zero time preparing for this different culture that I'm going to interact with. <laughs> like I, 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 I spent zero time learning any amount of Spanish and I had this like little bit of shame going through, through me. Um, and, but, but how many of us start reading the Bible and expect it to speak on our terms as 21st century Western people informed by so many different historical events and, and progressions that these ancient people didn't. We not only are we traveling to a different culture, we're actually going back in time as well with different cultural expectations, different uses of language, different turns of phrase. And we pick up the Bible just simply expecting it 
to be talking on our terms and using our cultural idioms and taking for granted the things that we take for granted in our own culture. But it really isn't that, is it? It's ancient. It's contextually rooted literature. And it, it speaks from a particular time and a particular place, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. And I mean, you touched on a, a few different aspects of that just in that you know, little anecdote there. I mean, for one thing, we're only looking at this in translation anyway, and that you lose a lot just by, by doing that. And so, you know, we need to always take that into consideration. And it can be eye opening, to be sure, to sometime, you know, find out what the, the underlying word or language is behind a, a particular thing, and then to explore how that resonates with, you know, with other things and so forth. So, so we're dealing with texts in translation. We're dealing with texts that are thousands uh, of years old and, and, you know, from completely different cultural um, and historical circumstances. And you don't have to read far to, to kind of confront that. Although with the Bible as this collection, as this, you know, set of, of different works of literature and so forth, there are parts and there are aspects of the stories that have become so familiar to us that it, it that familiarity kind of risks obscuring how old the Bible really is, right? We think of, I don't know, you know, King David, or we think of, you know, Moses and 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 the Exodus and so forth. And and these stories are so familiar to us that that we somehow lose sight of the fact that there's an awful lot going on here that we have no way, no bearings uh, to be even able to start thinking about this in, in the correct way. So it, this is not to put people off in any way, right? I mean, it, but it is to sort of under um, undermine a little bit that idea that we can just open the Bible at random and this is God's love letter to me or whatever. And, you know, I'll get something, you know, out of it. It's an invitation to, to actually struggle and wrestle with the text to try to make sense, you know, of things. And, and, you know, it, it really is dangerous. It's not just, you know, mildly inappropriate, but it can be altogether dangerous to just open the Bible and to start quoting verses and, and applying them to our own time and place without having any idea whatsoever about the, the original context. I mean, this happens all the time with various laws from Leviticus or something like that, right? Um, you know, and you don't even understand that what what's at play here. I mean, even the concept of what's clean and unclean has nothing to do with moral concepts that, that we might be interested in. And yet we take these, these, these holiness laws that have to do with worship and, and, and pre preparedness for worship. And, and we apply them completely out of context to, to other things. And you see this all the time. I mean, I can guarantee you, there are people quoting Leviticus today to one another to try to make some point, you know, or, or another, but I mean, every part of every story, there's something, right? And even the way the stories themselves are written, it's different from the way we would tell stories, right? It's different from the kind of, of literature we would set out to, to create in our um, own, own time and place. And, and it's funny, we get that. We even look at like 19th century literature or you know, Renaissance literature, or medieval literature, or go back to the Greek literature of, of uh, you know, ancient you know, Greece and Homer and so forth. And we're, we're familiar with how far removed that is. And we kind of put ourselves into a different, different kind of mindset and understanding as we read that. But we get to the Bible and suddenly we want it to be 21st century and, and immediately applicable in, 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 in all respects. And it's just not. It is 
more removed than any of those other things, right? And so we need to work hard and to it gets part of that communal um aspect of things too, because we can lean on one another and and a shared kind of uh struggle to to understand this it really is a kind of uh journey of interpretation, of imagination and interpretation that we're on, you know, together. And we can really trust, you know, one another. And one of the big themes obviously of of these couple of episodes is there's people doing that like the bible project or, or wherever else find those trusted people that can help bring us into something more of the context it'll never be perfect but something more of that ancient context and really understand that this is to begin with extremely foreign you know to us but that comes with then this invitation for us to make it relevant right and i think that's where we're going to go to in our next couple of points here if you haven't yet become a patron of Enacting the Kingdom over on Patreon, you're only getting a small fraction of everything we're up to. When you become a patron, for as little as $3 a month, you'll get immediate access to over 100 Patreon-exclusive episodes, weekly new releases, private live streams, and Patreon community events like Bible studies. And as we're social media free, Patreon is the only place to engage with us and others about these episodes. Go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to join the growing community. The next point is that the Bible's meditation literature. And I, and I want to maybe expound on this a little bit from the negative side, um, not what meditation is, but perhaps what it isn't. Um, I think a lot of people treat the Bible as a... Um, as a devotional grab bag, right? So, you, you know, you're supposed to open it up, maybe get a nice quote or two and kind of move on with your day and kind of forget about all that, all those weird parts. Just find that quote, that quote or two. I can do all things through Christ who lives in me or whatever it might be, um, which sound, the sound really beautiful. Or, or perhaps we treat it like a theological manual, right? Oh, I need to prove a theological point. So I'm going to go to the Bible and sort of proof text it that way. Or perhaps the Bible is supposed to be our life coach, that we go there and we are expected to read, let's say, a couple of verses every day, or maybe a chapter every day or something like that. And I have to be able to find a nugget to take and apply to my life that day right? That it's this um, guy, this life coach that tells you what to do. Not that life coaches tell you what to do, but I'm just using a metaphor here. Um, but it, the Bible continuously subverts those kinds of ex expectations, doesn't it? Like it, it really is something different. And I think that's what we're getting after with, with this pillar of uh, describing the Bible's meditation literature. And meditation, I guess, is something that you just keep coming back to over and over. And there isn't necessarily this expectation of progress. Is, is there with that word meditation, Father? I don't know how you would see that, but just letting it wash over you as opposed to treating it as a, a gold mine, right? Treating it as a river that you're floating along as opposed to trying to strip mine as much wisdom as you possibly can. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, the images that come to mind, in addition to, you know, that idea of letting it flow over you, I mean, there's an immersion, there's a participation, right? It's an invitation into that ultimately, the story, that big story that we've been talking about, is one that we're supposed to enter into and, and take on ourselves, right? To participate in the same way. And as I say, the, the Bible itself shows this, because there's this you know, movement through time and space in all of these different contexts where people are doing this over and over and over again. And this, it's this big question of 
who is God and how do I understand he's at work and how do I cooperate with him in my own time and place? And that question gets answered in a lot of different ways and by a lot of different people in a lot of different uh, places, but it's something that we need to ponder. And that's what meditation is really about. It's like this cogitation, pondering, meditating, you know, we, we enter into this, this struggle to, 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 to make sense of that, but it's not a, a matter of let's, let's get the text right. And let's understand and stand over the text and be able to explain it perfectly. It's not that it's about, we enter into it so much so that we are the ones that ultimately get read, right? We are the ones who ultimately get interpreted that ultimately get exegeted and and applied you know to the world that the, the the text itself which is this written record of this communal struggle to know who god is and make sense of his purposes in our world that by entering into that you know we can join ourselves to to that ultimate project and, and purpose of god you know somehow but it's it, it is a slow and steady and constant process. It's not like, okay, I'm going to study the Bible for a year and I'll understand it. And then I'll just go and explain it to other people. It's not that it, it, this meditation means it's prayerful. It's, it's liturgical, it's communal. It's, it's always and everywhere a struggle, like the struggle Jacob had, you know, with the angel of the Lord. And it's a struggle that leaves us disabled in some ways, like it did him. Right. And it's in that encounter that Jacob becomes Israel. And to be Israel is to struggle with God, is literally what that means. And so this is the meditation, the the process of participation that, that we're invited into is this constant trying to work out, right? And, um, you know, the, there, there are no easy answers. There are no pat answers. There are no systematic theologies here. Uh, the reason it's half narrative and another huge chunk poetry and very little, you know, actual rational, discursive, persuasive or, or legal literature is that all of that is to, to be a kind of context of, of real living and, and of, and of real experience in which we are given hints of, uh, you know, bearings, but not ultimately told you know, do this, that, or the other thing. It, 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 it is a, it's a, it's an application, a participation. It's all of those things. And we do it together in, in community, um, you know, with one another, but it's not a, it's not an overnight process. And it's certainly not one of, of mastery or of, of, or of, of coming to some kind of comprehensive understanding. It's, it's the human project really is what it is. It's what it means to be a human being. It's, it's ultimately, and if you put this in 20th century terms, an existential, you know, project as opposed to, you know, an academic or, or, or literary one as such. If you are getting value from this podcast, please consider writing a short, positive five-star review on your podcast app. And even though we are social media free, there's still a place you can keep up to date with a Enacting the Kingdom. You can join the email list by going to enactingthekingdom.com. Some of the best advice I heard about reading the scriptures, particularly reading the gospels, I'll, I'll be clear that this advice was particularly about the gospels, was uh, three things. One is, as you're reading, avoid the temptation to quote unquote, figure things out. And uh, number two is, if you read something and you don't understand it, just say, that's okay, next time, and just let it 
wash over you and just move on. Because you know what? You're going to get to it next time. And that's part of this meditation literature being one of the pillars. The point is that you will come back and you will come back and you will come back. And you know what? Things are going to hit you. You're going to think you understand something now and then you're going to read it next time and it's going to be quite different. Or you're not going to understand something now. And you know what? It might hit you in a different way later. And the third one, which is related is, and if you understand something, put it into practice. Right? Um, yeah. And, th- and that's kind of it. Really, you just continue to read and you just avoid figuring things out or the temptation, I should say, to just figure things out. If you don't understand something, let it go. And if you understand something, then put it into practice. And that's it. Yeah, no, that, that is absolutely it's a very quick encapsulation of what I was trying to say there. And it, it absolutely in that sense that, you know, it's not what we study the Bible whether that's alone or, or together, we're not doing it to figure things out. We're doing it to become better human beings. And uh, what is always and everywhere there is this kind of presentation of the next steps, right? And there's that beautiful image from the scriptures themselves of the, the the Lord's word is a light unto my feet, right? It lights my path. And that's what it does. Every time we come back, whether it's any of those three categories that gives us steps forward, it gives us light in that path as we move forward together as a community of faith. And here we are at the last one that we have listed, which is that the Bible is wisdom literature, that the Bible is wisdom literature. And again, it's related to that meditation literature. Wisdom. So in certain parts of the Bible, it talks about the way of life and the way of death, right? Um, Adam and Eve are given the choice between this tree or that tree. And so many characters are actually given these choices. And what we do as when we read them is <clears throat> we, it asks uh, the, the the stories ask us to put ourselves in that moment, right? What decision are we going to make? So, you know, there are books that tend to be really concerned with little aphorisms or wisdom. We think of wisdom of Solomon or Proverbs, things like that. Um, even things like the book of Job, which seek to understand why bad things happen to good people. Um, these That kind of more traditional, perhaps, or clearly wisdom literature. But the actual stories, like the stories of David, the stories in Genesis and Exodus, those are also encapsulated under wisdom literature, aren't they, Father Jeffrey? Absolutely. And, and I think that that's the key part in understanding you know, this pillar is we're not talking about wisdom literature, right? Because there's a category of, of biblical literature, as you said, which includes things like Proverbs and Job and, and Psalms um, and so forth. Um, but the whole of the scriptures is wisdom literature in this sense that the, all the big questions, right? All the, all the things that have ever occurred to human beings as, you know, why are we here? Where did we come from? Where are we going? What's the point of it all? Uh, what are we meant to do? Um, and then probably that biggest question of all, which kind of all those others boil down to in a way is, you know, how can I, as a bounded, limited human being, make any sense of at all of an infinite God, of of the one who brought all this into being and has intentions for this? And how can I even come to know that 
that mind, that, that, that presence, that, that person, um, who is just infinitely beyond us. And in Orthodox tradition, we have that beautiful, you know, apophatic theology where we admit right up, God is ineffable, you know, incomprehensible, uh, infinite beyond anything that we could begin to do to, to understand. So how, I mean, these are the wisdom questions, right? And, and every, human being, every human philosophy, every human religion is some attempt to, to kind of make sense of, of these questions. And this is what the scriptures invite us into, not again, giving us anything like a pat or systematic answer. No, nothing that we've, okay, we've got that now let's move on. Or, you know, we figured that out. So let's go and just tell it to other people and they can have figured it out too. It's not that at all. It, the, the Bible invites us to follow the same process that the people who wrote the Bible in the first place or who, who, who had that experience of God and passed that down. And then it was, you know, reimagined and rewritten and redacted and compiled and so forth over those thousands of years. There's already on the pages of that. This is what the remarkable thing is. This is almost unique uh, in in kind of uh, religious sacred literature, right? Because normally there's a kind of sense of perfection, or we've got it, we figured it out. Here's the answer to to a kind of religious or philosophical text. The Bible's not like that at all. The Bible is wisdom literature in saying these are the questions. And these are the questions we're all asking. And these are the ways that people have begun to 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 carry those questions forward and to begin to have something of a hint of an answer, a hint of an application of it, the, the, the failures and, and somewhat, you know, qualified successes of the past culminating in the one that kind of addresses all of that uncertainty and ambiguity, right? But who himself poses further challenges, right? So then the wisdom question becomes, who is Jesus? And that's the big question to answer, right? But in what we're invited to do today is not go and find in this collection the answers, but the process. The process which says, how can we come to reimagine, and I know that's a strong term, but I'll stick to it, reimagine God in our own time and place? How can we make sense of these questions following in the tradition that we have inherited, right? So we too, in our own bodies, in our own times, in our own place, in the own, our own community that we belong to today, have to answer the same question. We don't just receive the answer from the past. We receive the tradition of struggle, the tradition of, of worship, the tradition of proclamation, of uh, and, and a kind of textual tradition in which we stand and the, the practices and rituals and, and so forth, the virtues that they're all surrounding that. We, we belong to that, but in order to answer that question today for ourselves. And it's another way of saying what we've said a few times in different kind of contexts and podcasts in the past about this improvisation, right? That's what we mean mm -hmm. by reimagining God for today, because we need to use the language and the context of our own time. It does nothing for people, for us to be, you know, telling them stories. I mean, Sorry, it doesn't do nothing for them. It does the same thing for them as it does for us, which is just invite us into a process, right? But it's not a set and final answer just to announce something from 4,000 years ago in the cultural context, you know, of that, which is why going out into the street today and 
you know, having a moral question and just quoting Leviticus at somebody is not going to help, right? It does nothing in that regard. What we have to do is take all of that and all of that process and all of that invitation to participate in, in order to answer those great wisdom questions today. And they, I can guarantee you, they are the same questions that if human beings would just stop distracting themselves, which is what we are really, really good at. We distract ourselves with the busyness of life or entertainment or, or we drug ourselves silly so that we don't have to face these questions. But when, we, when we're not doing those things, every human being is asking these same questions. So here's the, the wonderful thing. We have not the answers not definitively anyway, not in an unambiguous way. We have pointers, but we have a process of beginning to answer those questions. And it all has to do, you know, it points all of it finally to the Messiah, to, to Jesus Christ, and which it itself invites further questions. But in, in any case, we have a process. And that, I think, is something quite remarkable. And if the scriptures give us anything, it's this remarkable account of how human beings have been at this business for a long time and how God himself, if you, if you say nothing else about him, you can say this, he's willing to risk everything he's doing on working with us on these questions. Wisdom is the ability to improvise according to God's desire to rescue the world. Wonderful. Uh, how's like that, that for a definition? I, I love that. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that it, it, it can be uncomfortable, right? Um, we did cover this a lot in our Liturgies of Life series, but we do have this desire to just have the rule laid out for us, right? And like in all situations, all the time, this is how you react. But the Bible is not that. It's a wisdom literature. It's teaching you and wants to form you into the kind of person who can improvise according to God's desire to rescue the world in each unique situation in which you find yourself. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can only speculate why God went about it this way because, you know, an infinite God could have just made everything perfect. But I think if the church fathers and the Bible itself have anything to contribute to this, it's that that wouldn't have been the full humanity that God wants to see, right? He wants to see grown up, you know, members of his own family that he's invited us to be, right? People who are capable of acting as he acts, right? This is what being in the full image and likeness of, of God is all about. He could have made us just do his will, but instead we're invited on this journey, on this struggle, on this process to develop and mature so that we can, you know, see with his eyes and love with his heart. And, you know, that, that yeah, you said you know, that could be uncomfortable. I mean, I, darn tootin', right? <laughs> At every Absolutely. stage, Absolutely. <laughs> you know, there's nothing, you know, more uncomfortable than, than that journey. And yet there's nothing greater in terms of vision and purpose and telos to, to all things. I mean, this is what it means. This is what we mean by theosis. I mean, we have all kinds of grand, you know, uh, symbolism or, or images in our mind when we think of theosis, uh, you know, who knows, uh, floating on clouds, all kinds of things. But this is what it is. It means to grow up. It means to mature. It means to be able to, 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 to have answers to these questions that are predicated on hard-won, hard-fought experience. And what God himself does when he becomes a human being is take on the fullness of, of human experience and suffering, right? It means to go to hell 
before rising again. And yeah, uncomfortable for sure. But the, the way to fullness, the way to maturity, the way to wholeness. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Yuri Gladio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning, and I'm joined on this show by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Come connect with us on Patreon with any thoughts and follow-ups about this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time.